You're listening to RHR Talks, the podcast where the RHR team talks all things recruitment and advertising. We're going to be covering various topics on which we're regularly asked by candidates and hiring managers and offering our industry insight, which we hope you'll find useful, whether you're looking for that next opportunity or just to find the best talent. I'm Paul Walsh, one of the consultants at RHR. Each week, I'm going to be joined by my colleague and now podcast co-host, Tim McGuire. Tim and I are going to be talking with recruitment and advertising experts from various areas of our business. This week, we're very excited to be joined by our first external guest, Marketing Director Alex Kelly. We discuss his experience in all things marketing. You're our first external guest on this podcast, Alex, so I will give you the uh, opportunity for you to introduce yourself. We are joined with Tim, as usual, my podcast co-host. Give us a hello. And we bring in back Danielle, who was actually a guest on episode two. Hello. <laughs> and yeah, over to you, Alex, really. Tell, tell the people who you are. Sure. Well, hugely privileged to be the first external guest. Um, it, it can only get better from here. <laughs> um, my, my name is Alex Kelly. Uh, I'm a marketing communications director, typically. Um, at the moment, I'm consulting for a few different brands. So I'm, my, my experience, my background was an agency um, sort of starting off in my career, which was 22 years ago. Uh, I know I don't look old enough, obviously, uh, but so I did a bit of agency bit and then I went off to go and work for M&S on campaigns and brand side of things. Uh, I was there for a while, about nine years, and then uh, went to Reese as global head of marketing and then Jigsaw um, in, in a sort of more, more multi-channel role. And then Neon, a uh, lovely wellness brand. And then Bell Staff, where I was more recently. So, uh, and then bits of consultancy in between. So, yeah, pre- predominantly on the consumer sort of lifestyle marketing side of things, uh, with a sort of retail apparel focus, I suppose. Obvious question that I uh, that you know I'm sure many people will be wondering: you know, why start a career in marketing? What what prompted you to pursue that? Um, and this will, will show my age, um, as I'm, I'm particularly sensitive at the moment because I've just come back from having my COVID vaccine and I got handed a leaflet for older adults. Um, <laughs> and I didn't, I didn't know this until I came home and my kids started laughing at me. So I was like, oh, oh God. Um, so uh, it, it was really, I suppose, when I was a kid, uh, to, I think about sort of what my parents think marketing is, because I've, I've always had that problem trying to explain it to them, uh, and adverts, really. So TV was was predominantly uh, where I spent my my time as, as a child in the 80s. And, and you couldn't fast forward adverts. So like TV and adverts were hand in hand. And so the, the ads were almost part of the process. So big ads and, and sort of I used to sit with my brother really sort of loving and singing ads theme tunes and all that type of thing so so i was sort of i think it was advertising really that had an impact on me in the 80s uh, as a as a young kid and then i, I suppose and i wanted to be a vet like I, I studied animal science at university and wow. um absolutely nothing to do with it and then, and then probably you know we might, might talk about guinness but i, I started working for guinness as a, at university and and mostly because it was a really sweet job at university. You had loads of inflatable things. I had sort of a, a whole house full of like foam hands and hats and, <laughs> and living the uni life. It was amazing. It was brilliant. So like, loads of free stash. And that sort of, I, I, I really enjoyed that. But it was 
they also put me through some training around sort of visual merchandising and sales promotion and techniques. And I was like, wow, this is amazing. I can combine two things that I really love, which is sort of free stash and drinking Guinness. Um, <laughs> and, and I was like, oh, this, this, this whole marketing thing is, is really interesting. I think probably it's sort of like uh, uh, one level, maybe maybe tick that box around that sort of childhood ad thing. Um, so, so yeah, I think that, that sort of, what it started as and then I ended up sort of applying to the Guinness graduate scheme and I, I sort of went from thousands of people went for it and I got down to the last two and I didn't get it I got I choked on my last interview Ugh. totally choked and, um, and I think it's because I really wanted it and they said look we think you could be a good agency guy and they referred me to an agency that they used uh, that was part of Publicis and, um, and and that's how I sort of ended up on, on the agency side um, so yeah that's sort of what made me to get into marketing everything happens for a reason that's for sure then yeah or or, or you post rationalize it afterwards <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but, sure. but yeah either way one of those two things definitely um but yeah i did i didn't end up as a vet i, I was i remember i was sort of skipping around a farm visit when i was up at newcastle university and i, I was sort of I had some really really new high-tech um, not high-tech they rebot classic trainers and everyone else had their wellies on and i was like yeah, I've got this wrong. <laughs> I don't belong here. <laughs> London and marketing. Yeah. From all that, do you have an event or a campaign that is a real standout moment for you? I'm probably on the Guinness side, actually. So if I say that, one of the things that made me want to go and work for Guinness at the time, you remember those amazing ads that they had? And they had, um, I can't remember who their agency were. I, I did used to know, but they were doing the surfer ads and the you know, tick the top. Yeah. Like amazingly aesthetic and, and hugely creative, beautiful ads. And so um I I still sort of at that point when I suppose when I was sort of thinking about what am I going to go and do and, and and those sort of those ads were around and, and this is you know when ads were real blockbuster stuff. Um so so maybe that I think and then uh, the clever campaigns. I think this girl can was a it, which I think that was maybe you know, eight, eight years ago now, it's sort of been around for a while, but campaigns like that, that are really purpose-driven and I think are new and fresh and change people's perceptions that have a real impact. And, and I think, you know, quite often you, you sort of look at what you do in, in marketing and, and depending who you're working for, but a lot of the time, you know, it, you, you're not saving lives, but, but doing really important things. And I think changing people's mindset and perceptions uh, and the power that marketing can have if done in the right way. And, and you know, good marketing is always about, you know, creating an emotional response. Mm-hmm. And that campaign, for example, and for different reasons, you can, either, you can create an emotional response through, you know, pure creativity and aesthetics. You can create, um, you know, a response through really touching into a truth you can touch into sentiment, emotion, and all those other things. And I so that that's a good one. And then for me, really, I suppose um, one that might might sort of combine a bit of that in, in terms of like nice aesthetics, good aesthetics, and purpose driven creating an emotional response was a campaign that I did for Jigsaw called Heart Immigration, and that was quite a brave campaign really i suppose it was off the back of donald trump and building the wall that he never built uh <laughs> and uh 
thankfully won't have a chance to and brexit and some of the anti-immigration rhetoric so at jigsaw we've got we've gone on a bit of a process and, and i think as a marketer you can't just piggyback onto things you have to earn your way into the space to have the right to talk about them and at yeah. jigsaw we had and i'd worked with the ceo really amazing guy called peter ruiz um who we we developed this this brand behavior i suppose it became an external facing campaign but to start with it was it was sort of the, the brand manifesto called style and truth and the style bit was a pro style rather than pro than pro fashion it was almost anti-fashion but it was more pro style and truth was about saying meaningful things and being a brand that stood up um for and had authenticity and and said the things that, that were worth being said so heart immigration was a sort of stepping stone after a few campaigns and we wanted to, you know, the, the sort of scrupulous marketer in me, because we were challenged on this. You're only saying this because it, it gets you eyeballs and get people to talk about. Well, yeah, of course, as a marketer, you know, that is the output. You want your campaigns to have reach and get talked about. Uh, but uh, if you just jump onto that and do it without being able to back it up, then you quite quickly get shot down. And, and this campaign was um, about from a fashion point of view, acknowledging that there is no such thing as 100% British. And, mm -hmm. you know, so we purposely wanted to be a bit spiky. Uh, we said, like, isn't immigration amazing? Like, aren't we more, all the more richer and more colourful and more diverse? And actually, most of the amazing things in this country in some way have been inspired. Like, what we were great at as a nation is going out into this world, uh, sometimes yeah. quite scrupulously, and bringing the best things back. But our, our heritage, and, and in fact, like, you know, everything you touch the, the very few things are 100% British and you know and even we played with the idea with um we partnered up with ancestry.com and um we all sort of spat into little vials and did our DNA <laughs> uh, I'm actually uh 1% Finnish so I'm I'm basically a Viking uh which is what I tell my children uh, mostly Northern <laughs> Irish which is absolutely no surprise uh, as you'll probably guess with the name Kelly uh but um so yeah it was it was a lot of fun so with the, as a campaign, I think it was for me saying something that was was um, worth saying, doing it in a creative way. We had a lot of fun with it. We really played the campaign through, and actually, you know, and it, it really took the brand forward and, and got noticed. Um, you know, got picked up by twenty four different publications that then created their own content off the back of it. Wow! You know, other other people um, like took that campaign and actually did a whole series with with immigrants on their experiences of being an immigrant in in the UK. So amazing. Yeah, it was good. It was a real moment. And, and you, you know, you don't, you, I think you have to recognize that it doesn't often happen in careers. I think, you know, you have to be with the right brand and you have to be with the right leadership team that are willing to take a risk because it was on the face of it, you know, for a, you know, predominantly white middle class brand. Yeah. Around there saying high immigration. There are some, you know, you have to back it up and there are some risks. And I, I remember within the management team, um, you know, somebody said, "Look, why, why, why do we have to do this? Can't we just make, you know, amazing clothes?" And and you know, fortunately, the you know the CEO stood up and and and, and said to the person, "No, for exactly the reasons why you don't get this, we yeah. have to go out yeah. and and stand for something." Yeah, Jigsaw was in this very sort of slightly homogenized, uh, premium British like fashion set, which had had a great time during the '90s. But they'd sort of lost a bit of their edge, and and part of that campaign was was giving the brand relevance and modernity again. So yeah, I, I, that was for me a real career highlight. I um, actually got taken into 
the VNA it got pulled in as a an example of how fashion can change mindset. So it's now a permanent inclusion in the VNA. Um, wow. Oh. So so yeah, I, I'm so hugely privileged to work with teams that allowed me to do that type of work and to work for a brand that allowed me to do that. And just from hearing you say that, you forget how much psychology goes into these things. Yeah, absolutely. We spent hours trying to pull it apart and prove it wrong. Like an hours, day, day, literally days. Like, you know, before, and I've got to say, it was, it was a nervy moment. It was quite brave. You know, you've got to remember that like a few weeks before there was, you know, the, the bomb in Parsons Green that fortunately didn't go off, you know. So we very nearly pulled the campaign because it was a, you know, we, we had a tube takeover. We were being very, very spiky in terms of our approach. It was social media and then this sort of printed bit. We printed manifestos saying there's no such thing as 100% British and put it into the papers that um, where this whole argument around immigration was sort of kicking on. Mm. So there was one bit where the terrorism was was scaling and we looked at it and said, do we really need to do this? And actually... You know, as as we stress tested it, we felt like, yeah, we, even more so now we need to go out and be the mm-hmm. brand that says and that's even more important. Yeah. Yeah. And, and look, you've got you sort of on this stuff, you've got first movers advantage. Like once you've done that as a brand, you know, and you're the first person, you know, nobody else can come in and do a, a diversity campaign. Unfortunately, people have done them subsequently. You know, it's that diversity messages will never be a bad message. But I think um, from a marketing point of view, you've got to have first movers advantage. And we, we did the same thing really with Black Friday and we won campaign of the year there. And you, you sort of got three options with Black Friday. You either do it and you play the discount game. You 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 don't or you do a charity thing. Now that sort of pushed on, mm-hmm. um, you know, for Bell staff, we, we did for Black Friday a, um, a, a percentage giveaway to homeless charities and, and sort of donation of coats. But for Jigsaw at the time, the, the charity bit, you know, a few years ago hadn't quite kicked in as much. But basically, Black Friday is a con. You know, that, that TV that everyone's fighting over themselves to get was never worth 100% of the price. It was, it was built in with margin at the first point. Now, everyone, everyone in the industry knows this, uh, but as a brand, you know, that had this style and truth bit, we allowed ourselves to be the person to say it. And again, you know, Peter, fortunately, we used him as a spokesperson. We put him onto BBC News and Sky News saying, you know, Black Friday is not good for business. And it's not good for consumers, you know. And so we, we wrote a very well written and, and our, our editor, um, and a, a lady called Anna Santi, who's a fabulous writer, wrote this amazing bit of prose around buying something because you truly love it um, rather than it. You know, it was a buy buy red because it's her favourite colour, not because purple's got fifty percent off. Um, you know, we we price things honestly at one hundred percent because they're worth one hundred percent, not with margin built in. And, and so we we, and again we had this like first movers advantage on basically calling bullshit on. (laughs) What's made you stay within the retail sector? Because looking at your career, you've worked with so many major players, you know, well-respected, desired brands, but you've stayed quite true to that sector. So why why stay within that area? Yeah, I mean, it's entirely too predictable. I need to switch it up a bit. Uh, (laughs) I just... I, I, I think because I've, I've had loads of great challenges and I've had the chance to do good marketing, right? So um, I, I suppose it, it, to some respects, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Um, so, I, you know, they've, they've, I've had the chance. Also within those, you know, m and I was working across 
food, laundry, home, beauty, kids, like, and they're all different business units, um, which is why I stuck around for a long time. At m and I might be doing, you know, a kids campaign, but, you know, very lucky in that environment that shooting it with ranking and doing sort of, you know, things there. And then on the other side, the England football team sponsorship and working on, you know, big sponsorship deals. So there, there were loads of things around there. So it was very varied. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, I, I changed the, the businesses were very different. So M&S was big corporate stakeholder management. You know, I found that quite frustrating towards the end. I wanted to, you know, work much closer to the fashion of re- the business of fashion and retail. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, Reese is, is just chalk and cheese to a Marks and Spencer working direct for David Reese, you know, founder, owner, you know, a tough character. He's a tough old boot, David. <laughs> I sort of, you know, respect him, hugely respect him. And he frustrated me equally. <laughs> uh, and and so you've got different challenges with those businesses. Jigsaw, again, it was a different type of environment on a different growth trajectory. Um, and then I went to work for Neon, which was purposefully a change outside of that. And, but I think, you know, and Bellstaff is, is, is different as well. So there you're owned by Ineos. So Ineos are, uh, you know, very different ownership structure by Jim Ratcliffe, who, you know, one of the most successful privately uh, made men in, in the country, you know, his, and that's a, a pharma business, which is petrochemicals and, um, and plastics and that sort of thing. So like, they're very different. They're very different, different challenges. So yes, mostly retail. Um, in, increasingly as a career has gone on as, as the channels have developed, I've, I've pushed towards those newer channels um, and and more of a DTC focus and, and sort of less physical retail. So you can see it like M&S, like Reese, Neon, Bellstar. Yeah. The, you can the, see the transaction, yeah. Yeah, and and sort of, you know, I'm not I'm not sort of chasing the sun there, but you know, I think as the channels develop and and I want to be at the front of all the new stuff, and that's a great thing about marketing is is it's constantly evolving. Um, you know, when it was when I was a kid, all about ads. Well, now it's not, and it's it's about community and social media and social commerce and you know, engagement and authenticity and purpose driven. So you 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 transition as as the channels transition and there will be new channels and, and other ways of doing things and and they'll either be driven by technology or people or behavior um and obviously what we've gone through in the last year like you've seen fundamental huge shifts in mm-hmm. the way that people interact and you know hopefully we won't have something like that to drive it again but it is constantly evolving so Yes, yes, it's retail, and and actually, I'm currently consulting for a fintech business, uh, uh, an online media sports business. You know, it, it it's great for me to sort of keep sharpening my bow in in different areas um, and and keep it fresh. But I'm lucky enough that the brands have been different as my career has progressed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, do you feel that if you were to look outside of retail, I guess, um, as you said, you are working in fintech at the moment, that you're not going to be able to push the envelope as much as you have in retail um, and in, in that space? Yeah, I, I look, consumer marketing is, you know, you're, you're right at the sharp end of it. And um, the, the things I like about retail and consumer is, um, look, it's competitive. It, it's really, like at the moment, it's brutal competitive. Um, but I, I, I like that. I like you know, I like being measured by sales as well. Like, and whether their retail is, is just selling stuff, right? So everyone talks mm-hmm. about multi-channel, omni-channel. Like we're all selling something, service, a product, a coat, a candle, whatever it is. Um, you know, I, and I think that that for me and being measured at the sharp end of it and, and being at the competitive end of it is 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 great. I, I, I enjoy 
new things and newness and I enjoy working with teams who are hopefully better than me in each of their own respective channels, you know. So my, my job and, and now, you know, at, at sort of a more senior level is is to shape that and guide it and give it the strategy to push the teams as um and as I say to them, if any of them if I know more about their channel than any of them, then then we're probably in a danger zone. Like they all they all own their channels in my teams and, and be 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 the experts. And and also, you know, I, I think um in terms of the characteristics of people that, that sort of you, you recruit into the team, like people who are absolutely inquisitive and willing to learn because, you know, nobody knows everything. Like in a week's time, something new is out there and it may or may not be right for you as a brand, but like you have to have inquisitive te- people in your teams that are willing to learn and grow. And I, I'm, I, I do not, I definitely don't know everything. I'm definitely learning. And for me, if I stop learning, then that will probably be the point where I, I, I go and, I don't know, do gardening for a living because I really like when I remember when a lot of my clients were looking for e-coms managers that focus on marketing, that really want someone that does absolutely everything from the yeah. offline, online, just throw it all in and give it one big title a professional in in everything isn't isn't really possible is it really yeah, the unicorn <laughs> yeah. yeah well we're always looking for it <laughs> and i always wanted one <laughs> yeah i know and, and uh I, I, it's my daughter's birthday soon so i don't want to luckily they're, they're not at, at uh, homeschool anymore so you can't hear me say that unicorns aren't real i'll shatter the illusion <laughs> uh, but but in the same way i and I've, I've had this, you know, when I've, I've been out either with internally having conversations with finance directors around, okay, who, who do we want in the business and what are the skill sets? And, and a, and a pu- you know, pet bugbear of mine around, you know, digital marketing. I'm like, it's just marketing. But there are there are some very different skills and characteristics. And, and I think, you know, performance marketing is one thing. And I think uh, digital marketing is is a channel with which to deliver a marketing message and, and is now obviously critical, like in the way that you, you approach. But as the channels have developed, right? So whereas, you know, it might have been right for you doing billboards and tv campaigns and he's still right for certain brands you know driving fame it, it just data makes them better now than they were before that's the only different thing mm-hmm. in terms of measurability and roi but d- digital marketing is is a very important channel and i think i and i had this before and, and with a brand that was was uh, looking for someone to come and do um sort of their their marketing leadership and they were looking for somebody who had uh, all of that sort of brands stores because they had some stores element um you know the brand strategy side of things research but yet was an, an e-commerce and, and uh sorry not an e-commerce but was a crm and performance specialist and i was like that that doesn't exist at a certain age it might it might in the future but typically if you've come through those channels and you know if you're a specialist you've started in that area and you will be of a certain age so the people before that have worked through the channels will have then got senior enough to pick it up. And I think it's just an understanding around what those skill sets are. And if you gave um, to many, like they're always going to be an exception and, and, and individuals that are rounded enough. But if you gave a consumer proposition and a creative brief to a perhaps to a performance marketer, then they're, you know, they, that, that's not their skill set for them. 
like someone who can read that data, pick into it, fight over the 0.2%, you know, test and learn, test and learn, A, B, A, B, you know, all of that great stuff is not perhaps the other person. And I think understanding how those roles, um, you know, work together. And, and, and what I often say is, you know, before you get to sort of act, you know, activating and, and sort of like hitting these performance channels or, or any of the other channels, you've got to know what you're saying first, right? Mm-hmm. And 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 I think that is the bit that you need to be really clear on as a brand. What are you saying? You know, what is the objective of what you're saying first? And then how you deliver it. When did you first notice the importance of online marketing? And when did you first think to yourself, oh, I, I see a shift in the wind almost? I, I, it's a very clear moment for me. I was at Marks and Spencer, and um, actually one of one of the guys I then worked with at uh, Jigsaw later. He he ended up running their website, and the website was just like a store, right? It was right. one of the stores, and it was a thing you had to do, and it was a bit of a pain in the ass, like oh, you know, the website. Uh, and um, <laughs> it's mad and, to think that. Yeah, and he was an ex-store manager. So, you know, this is before, you know, there was a, everyone was learning the skills in e-commerce. So um, James, actually, the guy who's, who's, who's fabulous and a really great e-commerce trader, uh, and more than that, actually. And, and I remember sort of, like, just seeing, like, the numbers kicking up, kicking up. And, and that, the numbers kicking up was, wasn't really the changing point. The changing point for me is I put out a campaign, and I think this is more around the power of digital and and as a communication channel and social media. And I mentioned I had this this campaign called um, Do Your Thing, which was a kids campaign celebrating, you know, how amazing kids are and how talented they are. And it was sort of like a talent search competition sort of. And I, I mentioned Rankin earlier. He he had shot it and we'd done this big thing. So we went to launch it and it was a social first campaign almost um, right in the front of when you might have social first campaign campaigns and I put it out and I hadn't there was a, a, a real sort of breakdown in communication around what other campaigns were going out and on social but that was probably that much of an issue at that point in time you'd, you'd manage it much better now and MS put out uh, a message which was a um a name search for Percy Pig's girlfriend <laughs> and, okay. and Percy Pig is a bit of an institution I didn't quite realise how big, but my campaign got totally blown out of the water because like Percy Pig. Everyone was <laughs> talking about Percy Pig's girlfriend and like naming the next suite, and it just happened to go out on the same day, and totally destroyed this campaign. Like it didn't really, but I felt in my mind like it'd been blown out. And I was like, okay, this this is the thing you can't beat: kittens, cupcakes, or Percy Pig on social media. <laughs> <laughs> And I was like, okay, there, there's there's something. Wasn't I it have Percy to... Pig's anniversary the other the other week? I think I saw on LinkedIn there was like a, um, a news article about it was Percy Pig's. I what? don't know how many years now. I don't want to throw a year out there, but yeah, it was his anniversary. It is an, inter- it is an institution. You're right. It is an institution. I've I have worn the Percy Pig uh, outfit, which was um, stashed away in a cupboard, and I for uh, on a on a slow Friday afternoon at MS, I decided to put that one. <laughs> Oh, what's this girlfriend called? It's Penny, isn't it? Penny, it's Penny. Yeah. Yes, Penny. Penny is not a good name in the Kelly household. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I won't tell you the budget. Uh, Rankin and our, my campaign didn't come cheap, but uh, a little bit of creativity and and good social media interaction blew us out of the water. 
Um, so yeah, that, that's when I that's when I realised that, that, that um, social and digital was a was a, a thing that that can't be ignored. And, and then I was very lucky to you know I moved on to to Reese where the band was being sort of run really lean and prepared for sale and we were growing fast, but. You know, we lent very heavily in an early stage into bloggers before bloggers were influencers and before actually at the point where Instagram was a thing that you did if you had a blog, then you had a picture on the side. Like, yeah. you know, brand partnerships and digital digital were a more cost-effective way to grow. And we were sort of leaning into that to drive the brand and give it more lifestyle. But we, we were at the front end of that. Um, you know, and equally with Jigsaw and Neom and Bellstop, a lot of community-driven sort of creating these tribes and communities. So... You know, again, that kept me and my teams at the front end of of, of some of that that work, um, which is you know the, obviously where where these things are going now. And what about the role of of stores now? So you know you hear quite often, unfortunately, stores are perhaps dead. I mean that sounds a bit dramatic, but you, you yeah. do hear it. And you know how how's the role of stores and 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 how's their value measured now? Would you say? Yeah, and I used, to, I used to work with uh, uh, a really, really talented guy called Dan Lum, who was um, at uh, Reese at the time, and he he was great at throwing, quite early, actually, to be fair to him. I, I won't give him too much credit, but he, he quite liked throwing out a retail is dead um, because it, it got him quoted quite regularly. So, um, <laughs> and uh, in some respects, like old retail is dead. New retail is, is a whole different thing. Uh, and I think this is the problem where people talk about, you know, it's shopping, right? Whatever you're doing, shopping, and it is on your own terms. And you know, I've got, I've got, you know, I work for with a, um, you know, a, a, a sofa sort of and furnishings business. Like, you know, it's been people have been buying that five thousand pound sofas on their mobiles for years now, but it doesn't mean they don't come in and talk to someone and touch and feel. Yeah. It's just that point of of making. You know, so again, this is the funnel and how you hit people and the always on approach. Now, I think retail will will always have um, a role for certain brands and it depends on the brand and who they are. Like there is no need for O2 to have shops, right? They, it doesn't need to happen, but yet they do because there's a visibility element. And look, humans need human interaction. I think any, if anything has been shown in the last 12 months, it is the need, the fundamental need for humans to interact with each other. Okay, and this this works. It's okay, but it doesn't replace. And I think even with teams and working, like you can work remotely. It's work, and good people work really well. But it's better for certain experiences, and that's what it's about. And you know, quite often people are buying things they don't need, and particularly in the brands I I have worked with. You know, if you're if you're a bell stuff, you do not need another coat in your wardrobe. Okay, so you've got to drive emotional engagement interaction um it, there's it's a form of entertainment as well so mm-hmm, yeah. that sort of experiential element around the brand and you've got to think about retail of two things really what what is it adding to the process what what are you what are you delivering in terms of experiential and and also how you measure them and i think this is the problem like people look at it and because the attribution model is imperfect, people look at that and you come up with a PL figure for a store, you go, oh my God, it's lost 250 grand this year. Well, now the data is getting better and the attribution model is getting better. What is the role of that store within, within that journey? You know, how much can you attribute back to, to that brand? 
uh, to, to that customer and its purchase and the value of that. So as data gets better and the attribution model gets better, then I think there is more confidence in, in marketing directors, CMOs, finance directors to be able to invest into um, the right brands in the right place. And I think what you're seeing with all of COVID is, is just a readdressing, well, actually a fast forward first off of consumer trends that have been there forever, like for a long, long time. Like it's 10, 10 years, the demise of the high street. Well, you know, it, it's changing, it's not demising. And stores that are brands that are over-indexed on retail need to 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 rebalance that. And so mm -hmm. the, the the brands that you're looking at and everything, whether it's CBAs and all the all the other things that are going on at the moment, it will be a readdressing to a um uh to a more appropriate level. But equally you look at you know all the pure play brands there was a push from the pure plays going into some physical retail as well so that shows the importance of having a physical touch point for brands what what we need to figure out now is how that works so is it around click and collect is it about additional services is it about you know and at jigsaw we launched a a store which had you know art coffee a sort of lifestyle store so will brands share spaces and they'll be more fluid and flexible probably will they be more around um sort of interaction and not having to take the products home and and sort of be a more omni channel approach yes senses, isn't it when it comes to marketing i think the stores that do it really well are the likes of vans on oxford street they've got a service there where you can see them customize and hand draw onto yeah, that's projects. It. and even like urban outfitters it's the the shopping experience and getting the senses going rather than just walk in pick up your item and and pay for it even like having a dj you see nike did do it and Top shops did it, and it's really getting everything going. And and retailtainment was was there twenty two years ago, right? So when I first started out, and you, you don't hear that word as as much, thankfully. Um, <laughs> but I, I did, but I have heard digital a few times, a, a few times over the year. The merger between physical and retail. Oof. Uh, but oh. <laughs> um, it's not quite as catchy, is it? No, no, no. That's a Timism right there. That, that's when I get my words mixed up into one. <laughs> yeah, that is. yeah, it sounds slightly, slightly creepy as well. But but it, it has always been that, and I think it just you know it's constantly evolving, uh, and it needs to be looked at. Um, you know brands are always looking for ways to sort of add value, whether it's through personalization, customization, you know, personal and personal pressure, making people feel like individuals. It, it, that is through the experience and through brands communications, you know, that's only going to go one way. For Bellstaff, we launched actually in the middle of, of, of lockdown, a flagship store into New York, which was tough um, anyway, but that was very much built around the workshop mentality. Now, actually, the workshop's doing really well, but, you know, whether people see that and it brings them in and then they go and buy the sort of off the shelf elements like, you know, that still has done its job if it, if it, if it fulfills that, that function. So no retail isn't dead. Uh, it's changing. Uh, it was changing before. It's just been a fast forward. Changing the topic slightly to more of a recruitment perspective, because obviously mm. that's our day job. And it'd be really interesting to just ask your advice for anyone considering a career within multi-channel marketing. What, what type of advice would you would you offer? Yeah, it's it's. I mean, I, I'll give the advice and then I'll contradict myself straight away. And <laughs> sort of what I usually do, the good advice is stay broad, right? You know, if you're starting out, you know, it's very easy for people to say at the moment, okay, go, go acquisition, go data, focus on those, go, you know, super, super sharp end, which is absolutely good advice. But 
then equally if you can i think you know marketing is 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 one word for a very multifaceted um you, you know and i have this when i try and explain it to my way to my kids and then my parents years ago like what, what do i do and it's very multifaceted, very broad and i think it's trying to figure out what works for you rather than shoe your, shoehorn yourself into the bit which is obviously growing and and, and you know all marketers should be data-led like a fact like if you, you know you've got to have that you've got to be focused on it but i think if you can you know work in an environment where you can touch lots of different channels um, I think it is going to be more difficult because of the way people are specialising to be a truly multi-channel marketer um, at a, you know, you'll have to work for a smaller business to be able to touch lots of different things at the same time. And the specialism within each of them is is getting deeper um, than, than, it, than it's tougher. But if you can, I would say stay broad, be able to touch lots of those different channels to gain the experience and then decide, you know, which of those because um, yeah, you've got to enjoy it. That's that's the whole point. Mm. Your career ahead of you. you know, what are the bits that you are good at? What are the bits that um, you maybe don't you can move away from? What are the bits that you can't move away from, and you just need to get better at? What's the most creative application you've ever received as a hiring manager? Oh uh, right, quite creative. Uh, I sort of. Per, it was once removed. Really, my brand, the brand creative team in Reese. Um, there was a guy, was it a guy or a girl? I, I can't remember. Uh, they didn't get the job, which is it was, it was the sort of the, the bad bit, but they got through the door and they got to the next stage. So um, creative briefs, uh, I think, are, um, or are great, creative applications are great, I think, if they get you, they can get you to the next stage and then you've got to prove yourself. So yeah. Yeah, that, that bit comes later. But that was on a he or she had created a um it was an underwear packaging and their cv was within and within the underwear and it was sort of all, all sort of um slightly tongue-in-cheek and a few double entendres thrown in for mix as well so <laughs> that's clever i love that it was good yeah it was really good it, it wasn't direct to me but it, it came to my desk straight away and i was i was like oh that's good you gotta you gotta see them um yeah and uh, yeah, so that, I'd, be bit, got... I'd be a bit worried if someone sent underwear to my desk. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> oh, yeah, your wife might have had a few questions. Right, okay. <laughs> yeah. uh, note to self: send underwear. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll be I'll be that person for you. <laughs> Appreciate that. It'll be my first. <laughs> One of the final questions we we wanted to cover really was: what if what have you really taken away from the last twelve months with everything that's happened, lockdown, in terms of you know career and and your personal life as well? What's what's been the biggest learn for you? Question. Uh, I so personally, I'm not a teacher. There you go. <laughs> my name is Alex Kelly, and I'm not a teacher. I, like, you and a lot of parents, I think. That that uh, is something I learned. Um, I did. Kids don't listen to their parents at the best of time, but there is a so a newfound respect for teachers is something I'll take away personally. I, I can claim to be a mentor and a coach, uh, but but teaching is 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 something that I I, I ran away from, and uh, my wife is much better at it than me. So that that is a, a personal learning. Um, uh, from a work point of view, I've learned that good people and good driven teams do not need to be sat at their desk, uh, nine to five to get their jobs done. And in fact, if you trust them to do their jobs and they're motivated quite often, you know, uh, you, you'll get more out of them because people tend to overcompensate. Um, on the flip side to that, and I touched on this earlier, you, you can't replace 
teams being together like so you know we we um increased the level of communication uh so lots and lots of communication sharing teams was pinging you know all the good stuff the little whatsapp group for the fun stuff um keeping people motivated um because it was tough right i had people in my team um uh, that that lived on their own and hadn't seen people for like you know hadn't seen physically seen people for like months sure. and and it was really really tough so there, there was there was that bit the human element of teams and and looking after people as a line manager that i, I learned more of the importance of 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 that um and people's need for for interaction uh, so we uh, you know, at, at Bellstaff, you know, there are certain things and, and the rules were very vague, right? They said, you know, you, you aren't allowed to come into offices um, unless your role dictates it. And that, it was purposely left as vague. Now, there are certain things you can't do, like you can't see products if you're in a, you know, in a clothing business. If you want to do review on products, there, there's a point where you've got to see and touch and feel them. Brainstorms don't work for certain individuals, like they just mm. sit in the background. So that sort of nurturing certain individuals digitally and getting them to sort of come forward, uh, I think. So the human element around that and the need for teams to be together. Now, uh, hopefully that will happen sooner. I don't think we'll go back to a point where everyone is in five days a week. You know, I think there's a fundamental and good shift there. You know, lots of people who travelled two hours a day, you know, an hour in and an hour back, two hours mm-hmm. of their life back. That's, yeah. that's you know, you'd like to think we'd all put the shelves up and painted every single wall and house <laughs> a year ago. But no, no, none of us have. If only I had a year of time to get everything done, I'd do so. And none of us have. I, I think the importance of, of people being together and, and sort of that, particularly across teams, that quick fire interaction you know, because otherwise everything's an hour Zoom call and suddenly you've sort of you've only done eight meetings rather than perhaps like 50 exchanges, quick fire exchange. Yeah. So that sort of that buzz of being in and around a team, which is the social element as well as effectiveness for, you know, creative teams, particularly um, in, on the marketing side of things um, that, that people feed off. Right. That's the exciting thing and why we go to work. It's not just about sort of getting the work done and getting paid. There's a there's a social element to that as well. And, you know, I, I like to run you know, busy, noisy, fun teams, hopefully, because, you know, I think that gets the most out of people. Yeah, we've definitely been the same. I think, you know, it's it's great that we can work from home, but there is something to be said about feeding off that energy and being in the office and, and hearing what other people have got going on as well, because you get good ideas. You miss you miss things, right? It's just sort of yeah. stuff that kicks around the ether. Hang on, what, what did you say? Yeah. Oh, like, and you just hear it and, and you know, that's that's where that quick fire stuff comes in. And um, from a brand point of view, uh, the thing that I take away from it as a marketeer is, uh, you know, resilient brands are, are doing well, you know, and brands that are, uh, that are authentic. So authentic, resilient, purpose driven brands that have honest conversations with their customers. Um, so all, all of those, you know, there are loads of brands that are, have have gone to the brand graveyard and you know probably they were going there anyway this has just been a bit of a mercy bullet for some uh, which is really tough you know loads of people losing jobs of course um so that makes it really tough but were were those brands going to survive long term had they transformed themselves digitally enough did they have enough of a point of view and a loyal enough you know customer community probably not right so mm-hmm. um, that was going to happen what that has done is allowed for and as always in adversity you know creativity shines because you know people have to be creative they have to adapt so necessity drives that so you've seen so many creative things come through over the last 12 months it's been amazing like brands 
you should never launch a brand in a in 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 a in a recession effectively. And like actually, you've seen people and brands and entrepreneurs doing things because they've been forced to, and great ideas coming through. Um, so so that's really encouraging. Uh, I think um, uh, that that sort of you know people will always find a way to sort of move forward. Creativity and um, good purpose-driven brands will always succeed. Thank you so much for coming on. I think um, it's really great for everyone to hear what what you do because I remember the first time I sat down with a marketing director as as a consultant and candidate and I was in absolute awe of all the campaigns and it was a brand that was quite close and dear to my heart as a kid yeah and he just spoke about all the stuff that he'd done throughout the year and he'd been with this brand for such a long time it goes back to what you were saying at the beginning it's about creating that emotion and when it's done well it really does have an impact so thank you for um coming on and sharing with you happy to share You've been listening to RHR Talks. In order to keep updated on future episodes, make sure to subscribe via Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. The best way to be kept up to date on vacancies and content would be to follow RHR on LinkedIn and register via our website at www.rhr.co.uk. If you're looking to hire and are interested in finding out more about all of the recruitment and advertising services we offer, then do reach out directly to any of our consultants or call 0207 432 8888.